Welcome to the O'Reilly Security Podcast. I'm your host, Courtney Nash. In this episode, I talk with security architect Efren Ortiz. We discuss how epidemiology can be applied to InfoSec, the parallels between using data and patterns to diagnose disease and find endpoint problems, and how to think like an epidemiologist in order to get out of reactive approaches to security at your own organization. Enjoy the episode. Thanks, Efren, for joining me today. Oh, it's a pleasure. So we're here today to talk about epidemiology and and security. I believe you have your own you your own portmanteau for that. You've got your own word you coined, yes? Ah, uh, yes. It's a, it's a it's a mouthful. Yeah. So uh, epidigitology, and basically, I just kind of stole the word epidemiology, which means uh, the study of what's upon people. Epidemos logos, and just change the word people demos to digital. So studying what's upon the digital. So the, let's let's go down the rabbit hole of epidemiology just a little bit for anybody listening who isn't as familiar with that as a you know as a discipline in in medicine and sort of in, in particular in fighting diseases. Maybe you can give some of the background on on how you've been thinking about epidemiology in the context of of security. Okay, so uh, I'll I'll first tell a personal story of how kind of the seeds got laid for this. Uh, years ago, I went to my doctor for my annual checkup, and after she was done, she said uh, she knew I worked in security. So she asked, "Hey, Ethan, I have a question. Um, you guys in security are pretty smart, and you have a lot of smart people working in security doing all this research. So why do I keep getting computer viruses?" <laughs> and uh, and if I had a nickel for every time I got that question, but uh, I, I said, "Doctor." You're a smart doctor, and I'm sure there's a lot of medical practitioners out there and researchers. So why do I keep getting sick? And that that kind of, and I could just see the light bulb going off mm-hmm. in her head, and and it kind of just uh, it happened in the moment, and and that kind of led me to, to to go down the rabbit hole. I started reading books about uh, epidemiology. Um, I have a friend who's a nurse, and she specifically focuses on uh, TB. And she started giving me all these books, and uh, I j- the rabbit hole just kept getting deeper and deeper. And I ended up reading about this guy, um, Dr. John Snow, uh, no relationship to Game of Thrones, uh, <laughs> who lived in the uh, mid-1800s. And uh, when I read his story, I saw parallels to today. Mm-hmm. And so here's, here's, here's what happened. So before 1854, um, everybody thought, um, you got sick from bad smells. Right. It's called my, miasma theory. Most people know about that, at least uh, uh, most college graduates. But in 1854, there was a cholera outbreak in London, and Dr. Snow did something very different, something that hadn't been done before. He, he actually walked around and mapped out when somebody died, where they died, and, and then mapped it. He actually created a map laid it out, and a pattern emerged. And the pattern that emerged was that there was this water pump in the middle that seemed to indicate that if you drank from that water pump, you got sick. So the he went to the general board of health and said, hey, uh, we need to close up this pump. And and this is where the parallels to today started to kick in, where the board of health like, no, can't do that. Yeah. Uh, there's, there's no evidence for that. Um, then, and then the other thing was that people will riot because right. not, they'll have to walk really far for their water. And so he needed evidence. And this is the thing where we're lacking today uh, as well, where we say things about, you know, the boogeyman's going to get our computers, but we don't have a lot of the evidence that's explainable to the layperson or in this case, management. So he went about finding outliers, finding evidence. And what he found is two outliers that were amazing. Um, right next to the pump was a brewery and no one at the brewery got sick. And then there was a lady um, that lived quite a bit away 
I think it was like two kilometers away, that got cholera. So if the general idea of getting sick from health was true, that smell must have traveled two kilometers and made one person over there sick. And why didn't it impact the brewery? Well, it turns out the brewery folks were drinking beer. Which is, <laughs> of course. You know, like, of course. And it turned out that the lady that died far away, another, the second outlier, was receiving water from that pump. Right. And I, wow. I love this story. They, and I'll put some notes in the post that goes up with the podcast. One of my favorite books ever um, is this book called The Ghost Map by Stephen Johnson. Um, who lays, who sort of makes this, it's a historical fiction, you know, version of this. Um, but I think it's so, the hindsight, uh, you know, aha of it is amazing. Um, but I think the piece that's, that, you, and you already hinted on this, the piece that's, that's really told out in the story as he tells it is the resistance to this. You know, because after the fact, you look at this and go, well, that's genius. Of course. Like he should have been welcomed like a, you know, like the like the genius that he was, and that, and as you said, that uh, definitively did not happen. And and the process by which it took to to convince people that this might be the case um, was is is really I, I agree, and I hadn't thought about I, I I hadn't thought about it in that context that that piece of it isn't particularly relevant to the current climate. Yeah, and it's and it's quite a shame that he didn't live to see the fruits of his invention because he died, and not until the great stink. Mm-hmm. Did the general, you know, consensus was well? There's this humongous stink in London, and diseases didn't go up. Mm-hmm. So, oh my gosh, it looks like maybe it was waterborne. And and then instead of just blaming everything on smells, people actually started visiting the people who, you know, the families of the people who died, and start start collecting attributes, start collecting evidence, and then start to connect the dots. Yeah, and, and looking for those patterns in particular. Yeah. Um, yep. Which, again, seems so obvious. And it's, it's funny, though, because also in how much it seems obvious, we've, we've relived this problem again in time, right? I mean, like, malaria was a pretty bad thing for a long time. And it still took, you know, doctors and researchers a, a, quite a while to, to move from just treating the symptoms of malaria to, you know, quote unquote, draining the swamps, right? It took a while for them to back into understanding the contributing factors um, of, you know, of mosquitoes and the population, you know, the conditions in which mosquitoes can breed um, to sort of be able to get their hands around that and, and knock that down from being such a devastating, you know, epidemic kind of disease. Right. And, and that, that leads right into the, the, the digital care options, right? So you have sickness management, which is what, what you're talking about. Right. So if you were waiting for people to get sick and then you tried to help them. You know, you either by dehydration therapy or, you know, you invent new vaccines, you know, new antivirals uh, and stuff. And then in in 1979, something dramatic happened in the U.S. where we went from sickness management to wellness management. So 1979 was like a a, a very important year at the National Institute of Health. They published this paper called Healthy People. And I've actually renamed it Healthy Machines and and, and wrote my own thing where I talk about um, preventive medicine. Mm-hmm. Right. So the wellness, wellness management is about avoiding getting sick in the first place. So before the whole wellness um, or lifestyle um, choice medicine, people just try to create vaccines. Well, if you just wash your hands, you okay. won't get sick in the first place. So how can we apply that to computers? Can we? And it turns out, yeah, you can. You, know, you can either you can put preventive controls by studying the what, when, where, how of the time something happened, where it happened, and who it happened to, and then you'll find patterns. And, and, and uh, I actually, um, I don't know if I should go into it now, but... Um, go for it. There, yeah, perfect. There, That's yeah, what we're here for. A, 
Yeah. So, uh, so I'm one of the books I read, they mentioned something called CDC EpiInfo. Um, you know, the listeners can look it up. It's actually a tool written by the CDC for use by epidemiologists in the field. So these are the guys, the, the epide- Epidemic Intelligence Service. So these are the, the guys we hear about in the news when Ebola breaks out or some d- disastrous thing happens where dis- a disease is, uh, an infectious pathogen is spreading. They get deployed. Well, they, mm-hmm. they have this tool with them. So I, I saw it in the book, I downloaded it, and I, I, ran, I ran the Dr. Snow numbers and did the map and stuff. And then I noticed there was a SQL connector on it. I'm like, huh, mm-hmm. I, wonder if I, can, if I, I wonder if I can connect that to my endpoint security logs, which is based on a SQL database. And I clicked it, I connected it to my SQL database at my employer's you know, sort, you know, data. And I, the host name became the person's name. The subnet became where they lived. The things that they touched, registry keys, IP addresses, and so on, became the things that they were exposed to. And, then, and that's it, right? I imported, I made the connector, it imported data. And then it had all these cool little widgets because I'm not a statistics guy. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, slowly, I'm slowly becoming one. But at the time, I had no clue. I just knew that I clicked the little widget and did an aberration analysis. Okay. And then it showed over time, this is a count of the people exposed to certain things. And the, the ones that are outliers. And I'm like, hey, that's, that's the piece of code that I wrote. So I, I actually wrote a proof of concept code so that it could trigger my endpoint security products to, just to test it, right? Mm-hmm. And it found it. So it actually found the piece of code that was the outlier. I'm like, oh, wow. So that's pretty promising. And so I kept delving into the other widgets and looking at the two by two tables, the frequency analysis of the exposures. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm using a medical tool to look at um endpoint logs yeah and it was it blew my mind like i'm like i can't believe this is working um and so then i I worked with a friend to to put together a little tool we made a web-based app and we started looking at production logs at a uh, number of different customers and wow um just it just my, my our brain started to explode we kept adding more features we look we, we basically placed the uh endpoint names on the y-axis then the 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 events the, a, a timeline on the x axis and then we color coded the types of events so if it was a firewall block or uh, a usb getting plugged in or auto run that inf running or when uh, a update an endpoint update of you know av signatures ips signatures and so on mm-hmm. um, it would color code them and we had no idea what we were doing right we just we're just going to plot it just like they they do in the epidemiological sir graphs and lo and behold, we saw patterns. Some of them took us a few weeks to figure out. Like we noticed that the the antivirus updates, the gray dots were these vertical, huge lines with white spots in between. We're like, what the heck is that? And we figured out that those, those are, that's people turning their machines at, off at night. It's like, oh, oh, interesting. So why is this little red dot in the middle of the white space? The machine is getting an infection in the middle of the, of the you know, like three o'clock in the morning, but the machine's not getting updates. And look, it's happening every single night for seven days straight, and then it stops getting updates. So this person keeps going to the same water source. This is the, the connection that I, that I kept going back to epidemiology. They go to the same water source. They keep coughing every time they go to the water source. And then one day they just drop off. You don't see them anymore. Okay, so we have a host that was repeatedly infected, but cleaned because the, the antivirus actually detected it. Uh, but what that what we later found out is when we investigated the endpoint is that it had a downloader. So it was actually re- retrieving. It was going to the well, right? Going mm-hmm. to the well and trying to download updates to its malware. 
and the AV would detect the reused code, but the downloader wasn't detected. And then finally, the machine just drops off because I guess that's when they became successful, mm-hmm. right? They successfully compromised the systems totally off. Um, oh, like, okay, like, okay. I'm following you now. Interesting. Yeah. So, so, but we saw this, it was totally unintended consequence. You know, we just, we, we, we just graphed it the way an SIR graph would be graphed for looking for when somebody gets sick and how long they're sick and when they recover or whether or not they die, which is another tool epidemiologists use. And we just copied them. And then we saw these patterns. We saw other patterns like the frequency of updating. So if a machine doesn't update for two weeks, oh, lo and behold, they, they get more infections. Well, duh, because they're not getting their vaccines on a timely basis. Mm-hmm. You know, um, here's a whole bunch of hosts that uh, are, are not getting their updates on a, uh, like, for example, one was uh, Christmas time. Um, they stopped getting their updates and it turned out that it was the WAN links. The WAN links were too small. So um, they weren't able to get their full updates. So, of course, they were going to be exposed to more stuff. Yeah. Uh, yeah, this is sorry, I, I can go on and on. No, but so so I mean, it seems to me, though, that you're in the you're sort of in this nascent stage with this. Correct me if I'm wrong, because what I want to understand is it sounds like you're still gathering a lot of data, like figuring out where the wells are kind of trying. But to go from people like there's this pattern of data that happened around the wells to here's what causes cholera. <laughs> it's like, that's a different stretch of investigation and understanding, like to back that all the way back up to something that's the broader, you know, set of conclusions. That's even like, that's a bigger, it's a bigger lever, right? To solve that problem. Like you, you know, so how is that apply, you know, applicable now? And like, are you, have you been able to take some of the things that you've been seeing in these kinds of data and back them up to more general, um, you know, sort of practices or patterns or whatnot? Yeah. So what, what we've been, we've been finding things like um, haphazardly, right. you know, like we found the WAN thing. So bam, we, we were able to solve that one. Um, the update um, on hard drives that are full that, that you couldn't see that on the endpoint console, right? But we could, we could see it because it was trended over time. So we ended up solving diseases that were a lot of diseases that were not malware related, which let, let me explain that. So a digital dis- let's take the definition of disease. What's, what, what does disease mean? So uh, prior to me delving into this world of epidemiology, I, I thought disease was something you caught. I think most people think that. Mm-hmm. And then then I found out the disease is the abnormal function of an organism. Right. Right. So, you know, you various mental- causes. But yeah. Right. Some can be genetic, some, uh, you know, and some are infectious. So we found diseases that were basically uh, things wrong with the environment that made it so that the machines could become infected more frequently because they were not properly managed. Right. Because that's and, kind of the, the trifecta of, of epidemiology, right, is a host, um, uh, whatever the pathogen is, and the environment. Correct. Right. Correct. Right. So if you can control one of them, you can stop the pathogen from getting, you know, the, the disease from occurring. Right. So it, you could either control it at the host by, you know, either putting a, some kind of IPS or, you know, a lot of people are, you know, virtualizing their apps or they're doing some kind of host control. If they can't do that, then they'll try to modify their environment by implementing some kind of, you know, filtering device on the network layer or in the cloud or whatever. Because focusing on the pathogen has been a losing battle, very reactive, right? So that's the, the pathogenic circle of the triad is antivirus. You know, that's writing virus definitions. And we know that's only so good. You know, you, you need more than, than just antivirus. That's why we have all these other capabilities with IPS firewalls and application control mechanisms on our hosts and, and in the, on the network and in the cloud. Um, so that, that, that also leads me to the 
um, passive versus active um, surveying. So that's another thing that um, that this kind of thinking leads to. So um, passive surveying and epidemiology is when you you basically sit at the emergency room and wait for people to come in. Right. right. Rea- very that's- reactive. Ex- extremely. And, 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 and in my travels, that's what I mostly see. I, when I talk to customers, they're just basically looking at their endpoint consoles, whether no matter who it is, they're looking at the consoles. And when they see the little red dot show up, then they go in and investigate it, clean it up or re-image the computer. They're waiting for the emergency room visits. Whereas active surveying, this is where the epidemiologist or the epidigitologist <laughs> goes out into the field like Dr. Snow, get to know your community. Get to know who lives where, where do they eat, where do they drink, where do they play, how do they play, how do they work. And using these tools, I've been able to look at, okay, what tools are being used? So, okay, I see Outlook is frequently the culprit in malware coming in. You know, some uh, PDF was opened up or some exec- some other executable came in through Outlook. So maybe, just maybe, let's institute a control there. And instead of waiting for the vendor, the security vendor to offer a solution, let's do like Jon Snow. Let's, let's, let's find this pump handle and let's make a change, right? And instead of making a, a wholesale change, which I, that's another thing, if I had a nickel every time I saw somebody implement a policy across an entire environment mm-hmm. and, that, and that backfires, no. Do what epidemiologists do. They test it on a random small sample. They do studies. And we, I've seen good success with this where I tell, I tell a customer, just pick a few people, apply the policy, your wish policy, mm-hmm. where you activate log-only mode, right? Okay, so if management doesn't want to block um, executables on USB or, write, or they don't want to block certain NAS drives or whatever it is, just put it in log-only mode. And then you'll have the evidence that the Board of Health wants. Now you can show, look, uh, these, when you allowed USB to be used in this way, just so you can have your training videos work, uh, you have a higher percentage of infection. If we disabled that, um, we would have had a 1% false positive, basically people um, trying to load their you know, annual training thing. Well, 1% of them will not be able to do it correctly, mm-hmm. but we prevented 60% of the other things that did get through and become um, diseases. Gotcha. So what's that worth to you? And, and then let them make a decision based on evidence. Right. And I'm, and I'm assuming, yeah. So the management is, is the board of health. I got, okay, I've got that now. And, um, <laughs> because a lot of, a lot of the pushback is going to be coming from that level, at least in the organizations you're seeing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Um, just, I mean, just like the other board of health, the, the, in 18, in 1854, mm-hmm. um, you cannot just change people's habits. People were used to, yeah going to the well. People are used to just plugging in USB sticks. They're used to just downloading whatever the heck they want off the internet. So you have to educate them. Right. And that's where the next piece comes in is the communication style. So, I mean, I talked a little bit about the tools, a little bit about the techniques and how they go research, but how epidemiologists communicate is awesome. So this is where the, the security professional's desk side manner comes into play. Okay. And so, so, so I'm, rubbing, of, I'm rubbing my hands over here like, evilly. You can't see me, but I, I <laughs> go ahead. I'm excited but, to hear but, this. But so basically, you know, when you go to your doctor and you ask them, you know, so what's wrong with, you know, I have this this red, like my, my kids have uh, eczema. Mm. And, and when we went to them, oh, it has, he has atopic dermatitis, blah, 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 blah. I'm like, what the heck is that? <laughs> right. And, and they're like, oh, it's eczema. I'm like, oh, okay. Um, can you tell me more? Yeah. And then I had to kind of dig it out of the specialist. Right. Um, to that, they know what those words mean. I don't. 
And I and I learned from that as well. When I'm in security and I start and I talk to my mother or my grandmother or to a, a security, uh, quote unquote, security person who's, who's like an entry level person, um, I have to convert it to their language. It's my fault if they don't do the right thing. I, that's how I feel. Mm-hmm. If if a doctor prescribes you a medicine that's going to help you and they do a lousy job of explaining it, you know, yeah, so, we've all been there. Yeah, it's everybody. I think everybody's been there in security where you say, just do it, stupid. But no, they're not stupid. We're, I, I kind of I, I feel like I'm the stupid one for not educating them properly. It was my fault for using, you know, oh, it's anomaly detection. You have to just change the parameters. No, no we, it's an unknown. You know, and then use analogies like, well, imagine that you cover your mouth on your computer. We'll, we'll do a block so that you don't spread the germs to your neighbor. So it's like covering your mouth. It's not really protecting you. It's protecting the other person. So now if all the computers do that, then the community's survivability goes up. And, you know, you explain it in ways that they can understand. That's what the death side manner. And and I've I've actually had people come back to me months later where they're like, hey, I used your analogies and they work. Mm -hmm. And and that's huge. That bed, the desk side manner. I think um, requires a, a lot of focus. If we focus on that, and it'll help a lot. Yeah, I was. It's funny. There's there's some great themes that are spilling over from uh, the podcast I recorded previously. So, Brett, uh, Brenna O'Connor is going to have a. Uh, um, one that comes out just before you, we talked about similarly, this is you know, two, two podcasts in a row that hand washing and other kinds of things have come up as metaphors in this regard, but also in, in the language we use and, and the way we talk to other people and the expectations we have about what they know or don't know and, and how that affects or infects in this case, uh, to catch a bad pun, um, the, 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 the way that we interact. And I, I'm, I'm sort of, I'm kind of caught out by how much those metaphors do seem to do seem to apply really well here. So the other question that I wanted to ask you about um, was, what's, what's the reaction been to this from, from when you talk to people? I mean, you've mentioned some people say, um, you know, oh, when I, I used your, you know, your language in, in the in the desk side annotation, but sort of, are you seeing these ideas catch on at a larger level? Um, you find you get a lot of blank stares when you talk to people about the the, the larger concepts. How's this? How's this catching on in, in the larger industry? Do you think catching on? So, sorry. So yeah. So um, I, I'm not entirely sure how it's catching on in the larger picture. Mm-hmm. I'm only I'm I'm only uh, you know uh, aware of the reception I've received at the conferences I've presented at, and you know people always come up to you and, and talk to you. And um, it's been overwhelmingly good. Um, the few people, the few customers that have actually tested it, um, what I see normally happen, to, I, I'm going to generalize here, they use it for, they use this, te- this style for about three months of, of looking at the dashes, trending it. And so far, um, all but two have abandoned it mm-hmm. in the sense that they find it boring. Hmm. It's, not, it's not exciting. And I, and I understand, you know, you know, getting the latest widget you know, the latest technology is a sexier ooh, sandboxing and, you know, virtualizing malware in the cloud so you can analyze. All that stuff is fun and exciting. You know, looking at graphs and looking for the count of infections uh, across groups is boring. Um, all but two. Um, two of them have, have focused dead on and just, you know, they just look at, look at this stuff, not for the malware, ironically, but for Things that are non-malware related, but diseases. They're finding basically misconfigurations in their environment. They're, they're finding that the, the behaviors that lead to exposure to malware. 
but not the malware themselves. That's interesting so far. Do you think there's a way to apply this towards... Um, so, you know, a lot of people that I've been talking to and a lot of what we see is, and, and, and some of this you've already, you're, already just, you're already talking about, is, is the block and tackle basic things that should get done but don't necessarily. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of... There's a lot of concern around um, open source and, you know, sort of lingering vulnerabilities in open source. Like, have you th- looked at that from this, you know, with this tool or from that angle at all? No, not at all. I've, I've basically focused on the endpoint okay. um, log because I've been treating the endpoint like a person. And, and then Which look makes at sense. It. Yeah. So, yeah, so far, um, it's just been strictly endpoint. I have, I did start putting the data into Elasticsearch um, mm-hmm. and, and then using that as that kind of the, the big repository and then using the two by two tables, um, which, you know, your listeners can look up at what's a two X two table or you look for like, uh, you know, here's the, the, the exposure and, uh, and, and epidemiology would be like all the foods that everybody ate at the picnic and then right. who, who ate them and who became infected and who didn't. And then you calculate, do some calculations and you get odds ratios of, well, the people who ate the butter um, ended up getting sick. Well, the people who went to this IP address, um, got uh, infected. So let's do a, a scan of all the other hosts in the environment that have gone to that but are not reporting infections because most likely they're about to become infected. And that's know, the that, really interesting part. I mean, that's where I think that's been the biggest payoff of epidemiology, right? Is yep. is the about to. And then and there's probably a lot of products out there on the market that, that tell you they have these kind of predictive <laughs> capabilities. But um, it's I, I don't know how much truth there is to, to all of that and the way that those work. So I, I can't I haven't looked under the hood necessarily. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that that kind of predictive and I'm, that's sort of in air quotes, but not really aspect of epidemiology it has been it has been a game changer. Um, in terms of, of tackling diseases and preventing them. Yeah, and, and some, some things are not infectious disease, like so seatbelts. I mean, yeah. uh, how does that apply to epidemiology? Well, they study, they, the epidemiology is about improving the survivability of the population, right? You look at seatbelt use, you right. study it, and you can eat, definitely predict if you do not wear, if 100 people do not wear their seatbelt for a year, they'll know exactly how many people will get in a car accident and, and estimate the probability of how many of those will die. Yeah. Because they didn't wear the seatbelt. That's a prediction. That's true. Um, so, and those are those are those kinds of things. Again, that's not an infection. It's but and they're things that people might not like so much. But that the goals of of certain regulatory or compliance to a certain degree are are aimed at. Um, right. Right. And what, when I present this at conferences, like, I have this one slide where I have I show the the typical IT security guy doing the forensic the reimaging. So it shows a, a river of, you know, it's kind of morbid, but it shows people coming down a river and he's taking them out of the water and rescuing them and basically re-imaging laptops. You know, he's like re-imaging hosts, re-imaging mm-hmm. hosts. And then the epidigitologist walks up and he's like, uh, oh, he looks at the, the all the corpses, you know, the people getting re-imaged and then he runs away and the the, 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 the traditional security guy goes, what are you doing? Help me. And he says, I am. I'm going to find out why they're falling in the first place. Mm-hmm. And, and that's boring. I mean, again, I call it boring work, air quotes. Um, but, but I find it exciting. But um, they, I think most companies need that person, that statistician or somebody who's just a very logical thinker. I don't think they have to be a security expert. Uh, I think they just have to be a very logical thinker and have a little bit of a, you know math sense. And they should be able to, to run some numbers and have yeah. them focus on that. That's what I've been pushing. Like, hire an intern you know, get it or get, get some, you know, an intern to come in and just run the numbers. 
Yeah, that's another theme that keeps coming out in the, in the podcast is the the breadth of knowledge required to to tackle these kinds of problems and having those those people who aren't as entrenched in the particular way of thinking um, that they might come at it from a very different way, especially people who have more of a, for lack of a better term, you know, a patient safety kind of mentality, right? Where you're looking at this in terms of how are we going to help people save, you know, improve the health of populations. That metaphor is very apt. And in thinking that way, you approach those problems very differently. You look upstream, you don't just keep pulling people out of the river to use, you know, to use your metaphor. You actually wrote something in your initial blog post about this a couple of years ago. Um, you, know, you said today's threats are too complex for one individual to discover and remediate alone, and collaborative teams are required to control digital diseases. It, so even if you have, even if you hire an intern, even if you only just have one person looking at the numbers, there's still those bigger cases to be made, large, larger changes, cultural changes, you know, to be made once you get those data. Yep. And one of the things that that's been resonating um, in those side conversations at conferences where people come up um, is the fact that I focus on, on this, uh, on security from a health point of view, where everybody else seems to have, be talking about warfare, <laughs> like cyber war. You know, it's like ninjas are basically coming into your environment. And 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 when I I, I looked up, um, I think it was uh, Information is Beautiful. Um, I, f- I forget the gentleman's name, but uh, it had this infographic. If I, I, I might be wrong on this one, but um, I forget, forget the book. But uh, I think it's Information is Beautiful. Um, had a graphic of the number of people that have died in warfare versus disease. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't even compare. I mean, the, the circles are insanely different. And then when you zoom in to warfare, how many people die in warfare from bullets versus, you know, foot disease, malaria, you know, all kinds of other diseases that are acquired because, you know, you have people who are going into environments they're not used to. So, you know, CDC was founded to fight malaria to help the troops. You know, I think we need in security that new division, the medical division. I'm not saying get rid of the cyber warriors. I'd say add the med- the epidigitologists that will do that, that the quote unquote boring work, so that the Navy SEALs can <laughs> can can focus, but the, the the epidemiologists can can improve the general health. And I think we need those people, uh, just with time. So the notion, you know, that it's so it's a you know it's a, a, a CDC, a security CDC, a cyber CDC, uh, I don't know, a digital CDC might be the, maybe the the best way to put it. Um, like that that notion when you back into it from what you've been talking out it sounds really powerful but what you're also then proposing probably sounds to a lot of people like yet another regulatory body right uh, so yeah so that's what it sounds like but okay the way the CDC is not an all-powerful single entity the CDC is only is one of many mm-hmm. every, almost every government on the planet has the equivalent of a CDC. Japan has their own, China has their own, France, everybody has a Centers for Disease Control of some kind. Right. What the CDC in Atlanta has done is to become so good at, at what they do that all the other CDCs ask for their advice. <laughs> right. Okay. So, so you know, when, when um, uh, the Middle East had an outbreak, they try to, to you know, do their job over there. With like MERS, uh, MRSA, I think it was. Yep. Yeah, MRSA. Yep. And and when they when when they need a little help, they send the samples to Atlanta. Atlanta takes a look at it, and they it's like getting a second opinion. But CDC and Atlanta really can't mandate anything. All they can do is recommend something. And I I've, I've seen some movement in the security industry where we're you know about information sharing with um you know the uh, the Open C two stuff, sticks and taxi. Uh, 
I think it's starting to happen where mm-hmm. you, you well, like, like a taxi server. I mean, you're, you're basically talking about standing up a repository of data for your community where you store your information on what you're seeing in your community. And then you're opting to share it with others. You're creating the, the web of CDCs. It's yeah. just that there isn't, there's no center. There's no central body. Uh, so I, I think it might, might happen. I, I'm, I'm keeping an eye on sticks uh, and taxi and open C2, uh, yeah. among others, uh, to see what happens. But it's David McCandless, by the way. This the interma- information is beautiful. Okay. Yeah. So, and I'll put I'll put some of the notes of this stuff in on the on the post um, as well. So, this is I'm really this is a great conversation, and I, I think it's going to sp- spawn a lot of other interesting um, interesting conversations that I have with people after you've changed the you know the way I think about this. So, uh, it leads me to my final question that I ask everyone in the podcast, and um, which is I have I have this belief. I'm not trying to pro- not I'm not trying to propagate some sort of hero culture, right? Where you know where you have somebody comes in and saves a day, like you said, or and said. But I, 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 when you talk about work being boring but critical, um, there's something really valuable and important about that. And and a lot of people who are involved in the defensive side of security don't necessarily feel that it's as as exciting or thrilling, you know, like you said. But I think everybody who does do that has some kind of secret superpower. And I'm curious what you think your secret superpower is. I have a, I have an idea already from the conversation, but I, I'm, I wonder what you would say your secret superpower is. The translator. The translator. Uh, or the, you know, I, I, I convert ideas, um, the complicated ideas into analogies that my grandmother could understand or my, my seven-year-old could understand. So, yeah. All right. The, 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 the analogist or the translator. The analogist. That's one of, probably one of the coolest superhero names ever. <laughs> All right. I like that better than the translator. You're, you're therefore dubbed um, the analogist. Now you're going to have to get a really cool outfit. So oh, That's scary. <laughs> okay. Well, Efren, thank you so much for joining me. This has been a really great episode of the podcast. Oh, I had a ball. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening. You can find us on Twitter. I'm at Courtney Nash and Ephraim is at Ortiz online. If you like the show, make sure to subscribe through iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, or SoundCloud so you never miss an episode. Mm-hmm.